push through the, the difficult things of being an entrepreneur is all the work and effort I'd put up to that point in sports, understanding that like discipline is key yeah. to get to the next level. Welcome to the Winning Move Podcast. I'm your host, Stratton Brown. I interview successful entrepreneurs from around the world to see what moves they've made in their lives to get successful and more importantly, stay successful. I'm here to make sure you can create a better life for you and your family. Let's tune in. Welcome to the Winning Move Podcast. I'm your host, Stratton Brown. We have my good friend and business partner, Dean Rogers on. Thanks for coming on, Dean. Thanks for having me, dude. I'm stoked. I'm stoked. All right, let's, <laughs> let's continue our conversation where we're talking about with um, Ray Dalio's book and videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both, I just don't see how America, America would need to change several different things. This number, I don't think the wealth gap will ever change. No. The wealth gap will how only continue it? to grow. You can't without more government regulation. With even more government even regulation, with got communism, like there's still wealth gap. There's still a wealth gap. So we have that. Social conflicts, I think that will go down. I think Twitter, I'm a... 100% believer that Twitter drove social conflicts more with like their bots, right? To where like it, they think it's like it's all, all orchestrated. Massive, like it's all really orchestrated. It's all orchestrated, which is kind of madness because if you think about it, right? We were just talking about how the economy works, how different powers within the world work. And one of the things that are going to cause a downfall in, um, you know, a certain country's power is internal social conflict and so much of that is like, driven through the social media is is being caused by people chirping right yeah. the, the the average normal person really probably isn't concerned with it but there's enough noise and media that's behind it that's driving all of it and like trying to self-sabotage its own country it's it's really strange right so we have that um and then we have so the wealth gap the social thing or the other two factors i'd and so if you guys and we're talking about Ray Dalio's book, I think it, it I don't want to give like the new world order. That sounds like really conspiracy theory. Sounds twice. big time. Um, but that's what it's called. <laughs> like, that's what it is. But it really the talks cha- the changing world. Order. Yeah, the changing world order. And it talks about the ebbs and flows of history and the cycles and everything else. And I mean, his book is really convincing just based off of all like the data points that he has. Like, nah, bro, like, it's on the downturn and mm-hmm. then China is going up. And then we were talking about this beforehand. I don't trust Ray Dalio as far as his Chinese things, just because he has a lot of money that he makes with the Chinese. Yeah, he's tied into it. He's tied into it, right? But all of his data points show like, no, the American economy is going down. I truly think that everything needs to be brought back in. I don't think we should outsource anything. Like I know right. globalization. Well, we've given the power to China. Exactly. Creating all of this wealth, right? They talk about that in the video that I watched, at least like a, a rising power, um, in a certain country's economy is going to be because of lower wages, right? Creating opportunity and growth yeah. that other countries are going to bring uh, the services to. And that's exactly what we've done. Exactly. Well, I, like one thing I would be down for, like I'd be down for more inflation if we brought all the jobs back and the cost of goods went up. Right. But you can eat that. But think about all the jobs that we'd bring back to America. Right. If we quit outsourcing everything, because even at the beginning of like COVID-19, China like stopped importing and exporting things. And that was all of our medical supplies. Right. Like we weren't even doing that, like pharmaceuticals, all that shit produced over in China. Mm-hmm. And so that that bottleneck and like that supply chain issue is fucking scary. Yeah. But we didn't get here to talk about macroeconomics. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, though. It's inter- and today, me and Dean are talking on a panel today at our meetup 
about um, how to really pivot in the recession, what we're going to do to thrive. And me and Dean have probably similar opinions, but different things we're doing in our, excuse me, in our different businesses to really make sure we're set up for success. Mm -hmm. um, but let's start off. How did you get into real estate? What did you do before then? The origin story. The or let me hear Dino's origin yeah, story. For the elevator heard pitch. Um, so, you know, everybody's got their own story. And I like to tell people like, you need to understand your story. You need to, you need to own it um, because it's, it's what makes you, you, right? Um, everybody's got a different path of how they get to where they're at now. And I think the more you understand your story and embrace it and um, lean into it, the more it's going to help you grow, right? Um, through your different relationships and all that kind of stuff, right? So for me, uh, my background, you and I are both sports guys. Um, and for me, like growing up, when, you know, ever I was filling out, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was always professional athlete, you know? Um, and I was always torn, whatever season I was in basketball or football, you know, I wanted to be an NBA star. I wanted to be in the NFL. Right. Um, but in high school, I realized my best shot is going to be football. I'm a white guy. I'm only, you know, six, three. Um, I can dunk the ball, but you know, I, I don't have, have to, you'd be a small point guard. Yeah. I didn't have the point <laughs> guard skills until yeah. I got to college. Right. Um, until I started playing pickup ball seriously. So I was like, okay, football is my best chance. So, uh, went to college, played in college, started getting scouted, recruited, and then flash forward, you know, I got signed by the San Diego chargers played for them. Uh, unreal experience. Like it was crazy. Um, and for me, like the coolest thing about that whole experience was <clears throat> probably the most fulfilling thing was knowing that I could play at that level. Yeah. And so I was playing great, felt great. North Turner was telling me I was going to have a long career, you know, um, live in that lifestyle and everything. But I quickly realized, like, if I keep doing this, I'm going to die. <laughs> like, when you were playing, tell me, bro, you were playing fullback. So that, H. Th that's what that's the, brutal. That's what the biggest shift was for me. So I went from playing running back in high school to playing tight end in college to playing fullback for the Chargers. And, you know, again, was playing great, felt great felt amazing from the neck down, but you're now a battering ram yeah. and you're going against the best in the world that are just as big as you, just as fast as you. And instead of being again, like if I was tight in, I could have overcome a lot of it, that part, like the, the head part. Right. Yeah. But because I was now lining up 10 yards away from somebody and running full speed to kill each other, like that's, that's a lot different. You're like two rhinoceroses well, going at each that's other. That's just a car crash. Every it's a car crash. It's a car crash. And I remember even going back after some practices and like icing the back of my head. Cause I'm like, oh. I can feel my brain swelling right now. Like just like your, your body feels inflamed yeah. after a practice and like hitting and running for a long time and doing all that. Like I need to ice my head. And for me, uh, like that year ESPN came out with, Oh, concussions. They'll kill yeah. you. <laughs> These are really bad. Uh, Junior Sale killed himself that year. Like, oh, geez. there were all these things yeah. that just snowballed to just it scared the hell out of me. So, um, decided How you didn't try and like move positions and go to another team, or did you? I didn't know. Um, the opportunity was there to do that, but I don't know. I just, I just had this gut feeling to not 
continue to pursue it and to just move on. Like there was, there was always that feeling that wanted to be still playing, of course. Yeah. Cause dude, it's unreal. Like everything is first class. Everybody treats you like royalty. Yeah. Um, like everything's at sh- like your disposal and it's the top of the game. Like it's wor- what you've been working for your whole life. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So, um, the thing that I probably realize most lately reflecting on it more and talking about it more is I pretty much had to start all over from ground zero. Yeah, well, you have no monetizable skills and nobody talks about this. You have absolutely, no one talks about this. You have absolutely zero fucking skills that you can yeah. use in the real world. I remember going to one of Steve's masterminds and I was like a year into real estate and I was like six months of out of like working with Alan. So like a year and a half. Yeah. And I went to a mastermind with Carlos Reyes, like Matt, uh, Larson, Pineda, Jared Vidalas, Jesse, like a bunch of these like really big people. And they're like asking me like what my skill set is. Like, I mean, I can show you how to tackle, but like, I haven't like <laughs> I haven't developed anything yet. Like yeah. I, there was nothing. Yeah. All all physical skills. All physical skills. I mean, I would say I gained leadership and people skills. Yeah. And well, and culture setting. Cause I got I got to go through which is huge as a massive. leader. As a leader, right? It's those massive. those skills, I think, like to flash forward and I'll I'll come back, uh, talk about it more. But I think the biggest thing that's helped me push through the the difficult things of being an entrepreneur is all the work and effort I'd put up to that point in sports, understanding that like discipline is key to get to the next level. Dude, you know how many guys were bigger, faster, Faster. stronger than me, smarter, smarter. Like there's people I would train with that were freaks. They were just so physically gifted that I'm like, I, I can't compete with that. I feel like those people are a dime a dozen now looking back at it though. Yeah. Like the people who are, cause like we, well, you can name tons of them who are freaks, but then they just didn't have it upstairs. They just couldn't put it together. <laughs> like they just couldn't put it together right? for like one of those variables. Like they had everything, but they just couldn't catch the ball right. Or they just couldn't consistently run the play correctly. Yeah. Right. And that's what like I realized with the chargers, what allowed me to play so well was like, if book. you just do exactly what you need to do and go to the right place at the right time like the pieces of the puzzle just perfectly fit together but if you just go a half second off or you go just the wrong angle or something like the whole thing's going to be effed yeah so um i think the dedication and the persistence and the consistence around just the work f you know the, the the level of effort um because still to this day, like when the kids are asleep and the wife's asleep, like I'm still up working and like game planning and thinking through things. I'm not just like, you know, mailing it in and going to bed at 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. What time like, do you go to bed and what time do you wake up? Well, now that I came out of the coaching program, I'm going to bed till like, Bro, like 11. Throwing, you've been thrown down. Well, when I was filming content for it, I was up till 2, 2 a.m. for a month straight working five hours a night on top of the the full work day already. I was working from, from nine till 2 AM, like for a month straight. Um, but that's what I knew it, what it would take. Yeah. And it's still not even as good as I know I will make it like that's version one. Exactly. You know? Um, and I know I have a lot more to give, but I think it's that level of dedication that getting to a high level in sports allowed me to realize I knew what it would take to have those breakthrough moments. Yes and no, because I think you're one of the best operators I know and very detail oriented. 
Because you're like, you, I would say you could just sell integration. You don't even have to sell anything else. Like, hey, I am the best integrator in the country. This is what I could show you on all our systems and processes down to a T. For you know me, bro. Like, me and Lewis need three assistants. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, there's none of that there. Like, if I don't yeah. have that person there, I can stay up and work and I can think and I can come up with like new marketing things. But as far as being super detail oriented, like, you're the best person I know how to do. I, I geek out on it, you know. Um, and everyone's got different things they're good at. But um, yeah, I like to nerd out on stuff. And I get excited by technology and like finding ways to improve processes and all that kind of fun stuff. So I gravitate towards it. When were, when did you like, where did this operator's skill set and mindset come from? Like, was it always like this? Cause I think, I think you're from my dad, your dad. Cause like yeah. you're a captain America type guy. I feel like you can do it all. Cause you can sell and you can operate. I, I got it from my dad. Cause he can, he can do it all. Um, he's always been super gifted and, you know, taught himself things and figured things out and been an entrepreneur entrepreneur himself. Um, so I think just, I kind of got those skills from him genetically, you know? Okay. Um, and then obviously people can have the skills like we talked about, but putting them to use and putting them to work and working on them and getting better at them is just something that I've always been down to do. So how big of a, how big of a role did your father being an entrepreneur play in like, let's say in the last 10 years in your life? Um, I think probably growing up, I didn't realize it, but you know, he, he was someone that was always there for me, supporting me through everything, uh -huh. like my whole family. Um, but you know, he definitely led a lot of it. And, um, I definitely took it for granted as I was younger, as most kids do. Um, and, uh, you know, him and my mom were always at all of my games and all that stuff, you know, so they were, always dedicated and supportive in every which way. So, um, but I think seeing my parents as entrepreneurs and being dedicated and just, right. It's like, Hey, you got to get stuff done. And if that means it's on the weekend or if that means it's late at night or whatever it is, like you got to figure things out. Right. And it comes down to you at the end of the day. What did both your parents do? Like what were their business? Software models? business. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Are, can you, did you learn how to code as a kid? Uh, no, but I was around computers. So I used to like pretend that I knew how to code and stuff like uh -huh. that. Um, and I would like pretend like I was creating some like hack software or something like that <laughs> on my Apple computer in my, in my bedroom. But, um, I did teach myself how to code when I first was done playing in the NFL and started working in the corporate world. Uh, -huh. uh the very first job I had was actually, um, to spare all the details, the, the job kind of required us to be innovative. And for me, I just took it upon myself, like in order for me to figure out how to, uh, create some systems and processes, I need to teach myself how to code. So I yeah. went on Google and taught myself how to code to be able to create this program. Hell yeah. Um, and then the whole company, you know, which was a billion dollar company was using the software that I created. So. Oh, that's dope. It was pretty cool. So why didn't you start a SaaS company instead of going into fucking real estate? Because at the time, going from seeing what NFL life was like and going into corporate and working my ass off for a year and thinking, wow, I'm going to get rich as hell and then and go back to that lifestyle. And they're like, cool, we'll increase your salary from $65,000 to $67,000. I was like, whoa, like I need to figure something out on my own. Were you doing sales? What were you doing? 
it wasn't sales and that's why there wasn't that like big earning potential. Exactly. Um, it was more of like a consulting position technically. Really? Yeah. And so what I was doing in it, in that position was nothing consulting wise, right? It was all of that kind of like innovative stuff. Uh -huh. Um, but it resulted in that kind of pay structure. So for me, it just like opened up my eyes. All right, I've got to figure out what's next. And it literally took me about a day to think about it because I'd always grown up loving real estate uh -huh. as most people do seeing the late night infomercials, Dean Graciosi, stuff like that, like almost buying his coaching program when I was, you know, 14 or 15, um, at 2 AM in the morning, you know? And then, uh, I was like, you know what? I want to get into real estate. So I typed in how to get started in real estate, found Sean Terry's free podcast, flip to freedom. And within three months from that day, I did my first deal, which I actually co-wholesaled with Sean Terry. I found a property in his market, couldn't find a buyer quick enough. So I called, I filled out my property on his website. His acquisitions guy called me and then I got on the phone with Sean. He's like, oh yeah, we'll take care of that. And got us sold. That's dope. That was cool. That's dope. All right. And so talk about like how long you flipped for, cause I remember you being a flipper for a while. Yeah, we were only flippers. So, you know, my first year was me figuring stuff out, doing wholesaling. And, um, then I found my business partner now, Lewis. And I was wholesaling him a couple of deals. He's like, Hey, you're really good at finding deals. You want to flip houses together? I'm like, yeah. So we started flipping houses together. There's lots of up and downs throughout that process. But for all of about four or five years, we were flipping houses like crazy. Um, first couple of years was like kind of slow me figuring out what it was like to be in business and how to do that. And um, then we just started figuring things out and having breakthroughs and cranking through deals. And so we've, you know, flipped hundreds of houses and, um, and at this point now we still flip, but we realize the law of diminishing returns, like the more flips we did. Yeah. I, was, <laughs> I just wrote down, talk about how broke you are as a flipper, because Dude, you, you're I, never really making money. I was terrified all the time, like feeling broke as hell. Cause think about it, especially if you're doing it at scale, Cause there's, there's lots of different strategies. Right. Um, but at the time, admittedly, so we weren't, we weren't making the HGT TV style, you know, uh, appearance of, Oh, every flipper makes, you know, 50, a hundred thousand dollars in every deal. Yeah. We were making 15, 20 K a pop, right? Some way we would make less, some way we would make more, but I'd say average about 20 K. Right. And then you still have overhead. Exactly. You still want to pay yourself and pay your bills yeah. and like improve your lifestyle. So, um, by doing that and buying more flips, cause we'd have 20 flips going at a time. Think about if the average remodel cost is $30,000, you have $600,000 out. And that's like, as the money comes in, it's already being respent. Exactly. And you still have your marketing costs. You still have your overhead costs. So you have so much money out constantly. It's a vicious cycle, dude. And um, all it took was one month in 2018 in the fall. I think it was October with the market just like paused. It didn't go down. It didn't it, like the interest rates had ticked up and the market was like, oh, we're going to like sit back for a month. And I had 20 flips going at the time. I was like, uh, no, I'm, I'm cool. Like, I don't want this many flips anymore. Yeah, I'm done. So me and Lewis talked about it and we figured out we're really good at finding deals. 
we're really wanting to add more to our rental portfolio. So let's just do the flips that are easy in and out. That's not going to stress us out and do a couple and let's just wholesale. So, um, you know, that next, the next two years after that, 1920, you know, we did a hundred wholesale deals each of those years. You know, last year we did, um, 108, uh, wholesale deals. We keep adding more to our rental portfolio since 2018. I like flipping so many houses. Like, dude, if I just keep flipping houses, I'm going to not only keep feeling broke, but I'm not really building wealth. But you got you were acquiring a couple of rentals though throughout that time. Not until, a, not until 2018. So you, I mean, you have 60 right now. Yeah, well, 64 or something like that. Right. I mean, so you did that in really the last four years, but truly two years because we you weren't buying heavy during COVID, were you? I would have wanted to, right? But we just did it. Yeah. Like in 2021, last year, we bought one rental, just one. Exactly. And this year, we've already bought five, but. The years before it was like 18 and 2020 you know and however many before that in uh 19 and 18 but yeah we were acquiring heavy then right now what and i'll i was going to talk about this today but i think the number one thing that i wish i would have done more when COVID hit i panicked and like slowed everything down to where now fuck it bro just double down yeah doing it like i won't make because i think jason out of all of us thrived the most because he doubled down mm-hmm and then, I mean, he made a couple million dollars off of these refinances and like, right. capitalized on the interest rates. I know. Had a blue ocean as far as deal flow went. And he made it the right way to where now, if you're a little bit more experienced and he's not really heavy flip, but you can take these things down. It's just adding to the portfolio, I adding know. the portfolio. And everyone has a different strategy on that, which is interesting because when I did all my refinances in 2021 at three and a half percent, I could have taken a lot of money off the table, but. I actually chose to yeah, do yeah, you kept it all in there, right? I choose to do rate and term, not cash out. So rate and term, keep the debt as low as possible. So people are gonna have a different opinion on that. How long is your is your debt locked in for 30 years? 30 years. Okay. I mean, but I think isn't Jason's locked in for 30? Yeah. 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 So define rate but, and term. But, but I'm saying he did okay. So the difference between weight rate and term and cash out is a rate and term loan is you replacing the existing debt. Okay. Uh -huh. At the exact same amount that you had debt in place before. So you're not receiving any, any proceeds. But you're just, so were you getting like 2% rates is what you're telling me? No, you still get the same amount. And usually they'll, they'll finance a little bit higher if, if it's needed. Uh -huh. But I kept my debt really low. I mean, like in the fifties and sixties. Of like leverage? Of leverage. Okay. Yeah. So like my average leverage across the board i think is low 60s wow yeah yeah that's crazy good it's not too bad um and but i could have taken you know hundreds and thousands of dollars of cash out and brought my leverage up on average to 75 percent or yeah. whatever um and just either held on to it or redeployed it into more properties right um but i just wanted to keep the payments as low as possible and the cash flow higher. Yep. So that um if there is a storm I have to weather. Right. I mean that is my so you have crazy cash flow off of those, all those then. They're pretty good. Yeah. But the reality is like unless you got insane deals and your debt's super low, I almost don't care what anybody says, but you're not getting rich off the cash flow from your rentals. No. Unless you've got like so many. 
No, I, I think that's the fallacy that everybody thinks. The fallacy, because the reality is, is like net worth is is going up like crazy. Yeah. But the actual cash flow from those, if you're cash flowing a couple hundred dollars on paper, all it takes is one AC to go out, one yeah. roof and to it's go gone. out. It's gone for years. Years. Because you might net five, six, seven thousand dollars that AC took out all of that cash flow exactly. for that year, you know? So the real benefit from it is obviously on paper net worth, because if you needed to exit and liquidate, you've got yeah. equity in it. You know, like we have millions of dollars of equity in our portfolio and then your depreciation and your write-offs. We wrote off a million dollars yeah. last year. Shout out Slack. Shout out to Brady Slack for real. Um, and so, you know, those are the, those are the benefits and that's why the wealthy buy real estate. Yeah. Real estate is not about, I truly think it's depreciation, pay down net worth. And then after that is cash flow. Yeah. Obviously you want to buy smart. So you are cash flow. Yeah. I mean, you're um, buying smart, but I'm talking about like the benefits. Yeah. Generally like cash flow is the last benefit. And if you are going to buy singles, bro, you got to buy them at scale or do them on Airbnb is my personal opinion. Or buy them so deep that the cash flow is just like, yeah, is able to support so, your lifestyle. And I was just, cause I don't know anything about this. Cause we only have like three sub two rentals. Um, so are you telling me like you, so your debt on, let's say if it's a $300,000 house, you only have a loan and your mortgage payment is on $150,000, correct? That'd be 50%. Yeah. So it's like 50%. So instead of a $300,000 mortgage payment, it's a $150,000 mortgage payment. Yeah. We have a lot, we have a lot of those. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. But that really helps with the cash flow. It does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. Well, that's dope. And then you own a mixture of well, single families. You have a couple Airbnbs, and then you have that one commercial building. Mm -hmm. How has the commercial building been? Because I feel like that's the one you truly want to do more of. I want to do more commercial. Where I want to go with the commercial, um, and my partner Lewis, he's already doing it. Yeah, he's getting into you know gas stations, uh, truck stops, um, you know, building out multifamily stuff like that. So where stuff gets really sexy is in some of those projects. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's so much opportunity out there. That's what's crazy is the barrier to entry is a lot higher. That's what's the nice. barrier to entry is higher because not only do you need to have the like financing partner relationships, um, a lot of the deals, right. Unless you're bringing in someone else and giving up more of the pie, like you got to have cash. Yeah. And it's not like a $5,000 EMD. We're talking, you know, hundred thousand dollar EMD. And then, just you got a piece of dirt that you need to like prepare for a project. You're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on plans and permits, like before the dirt has even moved. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm, so that's the hard part with like wholesaling is the barrier to entry is so low. Yeah. To where it's really easy to enter and it creates a lot of just nonsense competition. Yeah. To where at that level, you don't really have to deal with what's to say. The crazy thing though is, I mean, just talking with Lewis, like there's there's a lot of deep pockets out there. Yeah, they're, they're, a lot, right? There's so a there's lot still of heavy competition. There's a lot of deep pockets. It's still there, um, but you don't have to do as many deals for it to make sense. You could just do one deal and you're making millions. seven figures. Yeah, you, you could do one deal and you're making millions. Like we have the one we're looking at now, and hopefully that's millions off of one deal. That's a one storage. Yeah, that's a lot easier than having to go out and do a bunch of fucking wholesales, right? That falls far to the finish line, or you have some nonsense, right? And you don't. For me, it's the cash flowness of wholesale. And that's why I want to talk to you about like, I think your friends with benefits plan is amazing. I think it's the only true scalable method in wholesaling, by the way. 
it can truly scale and scale almost infinitely. Like you can infinitely. do a lot with it. Right. So, I mean, so like New Western is one of the largest wholesaling companies in the country. That's yep. all they do. I know Donnie's company, they add like a couple million a year off of JVs. That's all Keekly's model is. And they're mm -hmm. like a 30 million, $40 million company to where there's not a whole lot of direct to seller because your cash flow conversion cycle is so fucking wild. Because mm -hmm. like me and you just closed a deal that came from my CRM. That was from three years ago. That how long ago was? But it was from three. <laughs> it was from three years ago. Like, yeah, the dude came at the very beginning, and that's then crazy. we've just been pushing it along to where that's not as predictable. And when you have the JV model, that cash is now. Like, just get them in. Right, the opportunity is there it. right now. Yeah, get them in, close it. That's cash, cash, and with no. Yeah, you could have some outreach people, but there's no heavy, heavy overhead. Yeah. So let's talk about the amazing. Well, let's talk about the transition of flipping into wholesaling. Yeah. And how that looked, and how fast was it? Like. What did that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, it was pretty quick um, from a decision standpoint, like, all right, let's stop buying flips. Let's start wholesaling. And at that point we didn't, we knew most people in town, but we didn't have the relationships like to where we do now. Yeah. Um, and, and the connections and everything. So, you know, we just basically started within our circle of people wholesaling deals to them. Um, and kind of understanding what prices they needed to be at, right? Because we're all looking at numbers as flippers, pretty much the same. So we know what they're probably looking at. So just negotiated a little bit better, mm -hmm. right? Um, so the transition was pretty quick and easy. But then once we started doing it at volume, like, okay, let's let's improve our buyers list. So we started reaching outside of our circle more. But that didn't happen until COVID. Pretty, that's when it like really got serious. Yeah, like good. that's when you like started like really throwing down on buyers. leveling up on it. Yeah. What made you want to do it? Like what was what was it that clicked? Um, just realizing that at that point in time, people had kind of taken a pause. Just like when anything happens, right? Like interest rates right now are going up. So people are taking a pause. They're looking at things. So rather than me just waiting to see how things shake out, I just took it upon myself to know, all right, I need to start building more relationships and start doing more outreach. So got in the Facebook groups, started getting, looking at cash transactions, started doing word of mouth type of stuff. And like, it just started to snowball to where all these new relationships were starting to form and build. And, you know, I would vet them and qualify them really hard to make sure they weren't, yeah. you know, douchebags getting on the list. And uh, yeah, it worked out really good. Okay. So we're there. And then last year it was a net off of friends with benefits million. It got it got good. Like it got good, but think about yeah. that. That you generally the reason I push you guys is because you guys help them like they double their money sometimes. So we were talking about a deal just oh, yeah. now to where someone thinks they have a deal, they lock it up, like, no, you gotta go lock it up from here and then we can get yeah. it sold. The best person to work with is someone that's like they understand, they're self-aware and they're motivated to like maximize the deal and the relationship that develops from it too. Yeah. Like my biggest advice for somebody who's, who's getting started, who's newer or even experienced that's wanting to open up new doors, like go work with somebody who's doing what you want to do at a high level. And I've continued to do that with other more people in the community. Yeah. People that are new and experienced because it just opens up more doors. And so for someone getting started, if you got a deal that you might fumble and screw up, right, or you don't have the time to work it or whatever the, the reason is, that's not going to allow that deal to be 
as good a deal Cared as possible. For. Yeah. Like we're going to come in. Our team is constantly negotiating with people. They know how to do it. Well, we're going to get it at a good price and then turn around to the other side. We're going to find a buyer that's going to pay top dollar. Who's probably going to give as least amount of problems through that transaction exactly. as possible. There's still always problems, but as least amount of problems. And then we're going to handle the whole escrow problem, which we know escrow is where deals go to die. So we overcome obstacles and issues and title problems. And like, I got a, I got a story for a deal that should close tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to save it oh, for another, yeah. another, uh, another video, but we sent, we sent a pizza man to go get the tenants attention, a pizza man. Like that's my boy does that. That's a ninja strategy right there. We yeah. said the pizza man because the tenant ghosted us and we stopped answering. As soon as we said the pizza man, she, you know, she picked up the phone, gave us a call, and we were able to do cash for keys exchange, get her out, and we're closing the deal tomorrow. So, um, you know, just little things like that, like going the extra mile to get deals done. And so, let's talk about your other forms of marketing. How's TV been going? TV's cool. Because this asshole bought out all the TV I bought spots them all out. in the Central Valley. Everybody in the Central Valley keeps calling and figuring out how they can get on but now nah, i got them all um so tv was cool one of my buddies tony javier he'd been doing tv for i want to say over 10 years yeah maybe even longer i can't remember how long it is and he's just it's one of his main forms of marketing and we he had started up a mastermind and invited me to it been going to it getting a lot of value from it and he had been helping me in my business with small little tweaks and things I should be adjusting. And he's like, Hey man, I'm about to kind of go national with this TV program and help other people run it in their markets. Right. Kind of a done for you type of thing. So I was really hesitant towards it. Cause I was like, well, how much money is it going to cost? Is it going to work? All these different, you know, objections. And he's like, dude, like, it works. You got to do it for all these different reasons and it's done for you. So for me, that was kind of like yeah. the final straw, like, okay, I'll do it. Um, dude, not only has the revenue been great from it, the, the, the ROI on it, but the level of credibility that we've gotten from it is insane. Yeah. Um, it's helped us both with sellers and it's also helped us with buyers too, because people take us even more serious now. Like it's another level of credibility. Like if your face is on TV right, and then they're talking to you, you instantly have celebrity. like an authority. Yeah. And there's a celebrity factor to it and like all these different things. So it's just different. Right. So like, what does your company look like now? And not, like, what has been like the growth of it? And when um, did you know to hire on certain spots? Uh, yeah. Good question. Um, it's always been kind of a gut feeling where it felt like there was another opportunity for breakthrough. Um, and also, people like yourself and other friends that are kind of looking at it from the outside in like, dude, you need to bring on another person to handle this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I was still doing transaction coordination with escrow this whole time up until like six months ago. You're like, dude, you need to stop doing that. <laughs> but I'm like, dude, I make sure these deals get done. Like, nah, dude, someone else should do that. So, um, you know, good advice from people like you has helped me to like make the right decisions at the right time. Um, but yeah, I think we continue to grow. We keep adding more people to the team. We don't want to get too big because we want to stay like nimble and agile. You well, know? I don't think now is the time to bloat yourself. No, now is not like we we cut off a lot. And like narrowed things down and made it like a leaner machine. Yeah. Cause it'll be 
I think there'll be turbulence for like six to eight months of like yeah. people being uncertain, no matter mm -hmm. what it is. Mm -hmm. And so you need to be able to, like we pivoted only into like, so we let people go, shut off some businesses, and then all the extra money went to, because we were using debt to grow, we paid down the debt, and mm -hmm. then the rest of it went into advertising. And then just you deal with like the skeleton team that you have and get better right. and like develop them more. Exactly. Yeah. So for us, I think the biggest pivot that we're making right now is in marketing. So we were blowing tons of cash on marketing. Hey, it's working. Yeah. It's getting the ROI. But I think um, without feeling, without actually seeing it not working, I'm not going to wait to just keep spending it and, and it not working. Um, you know, I'm actively looking at other strategies that are more kind of like your grassroots yeah. um, boots on the ground type of strategies like the friends with benefits. So we hired someone for business development just to work on relationships. And I still think that's your best hire so far. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of room for development Yeah, with training and all those things to get it to where it's going to go and where it needs to go. But I think where the scale is in that position is going to be unreal. Oh yeah. So, um, yeah, we're just pivoting in our marketing so that it's more targeted, more strategic and the effort that we're spending on it is maybe a little bit more effort with less money, but the actual quality of the leads are going to be that much higher. Oh yeah. I mean, cause that, again, we talked about like that quality of lead. It's the hottest because it just needs help. Yeah. It's already signed. Like that already yeah. part's taken care of. There is right. no, following up with the old lady there is no freaking all right we got to go talk to these nine people it's all right it's here now what do i do right and then you guys help with that half of it yeah so i think that's really easy well let's not say easy not always easy yeah how hot are how hot are those tv leads generally is it like a direct mail lead and a ppc lead well i'd say in order of quality i'd say tv and ppc are going to be highest direct mail is going to be next and then you got cold calling and text messaging from there. You know, are you guys still texting? We stopped texting. Um, we have a friends with benefits 2.0 going on right now where we are doing some text campaigns with some other people. So we're testing that out and seeing how well it's going to work. Um, get, could get pretty interesting. Okay. Can you define that or no? Yeah. Um, we're basically, we've had, other investors reach out to us and like, Hey, I have money to invest. I don't know how to get these deals done. I don't know even know where to start. Uh -huh. How can we work with you? Yeah. So they're basically bringing money to the table, investing it with us into marketing. And we're kind of niching out like, okay, well let's, let's market here. Let's do that. I tried doing that with zip codes. Yeah. And then I, I learned that the zip codes weren't big enough. Right. Right. <laughs> to where we were, I think I was doing it with Zuber. Right, we gave them a certain set of zip codes, but then after a certain point, it was like, well, we're getting a diminishing return if we keep just punching the zip code in the face. Right. But that's really cool. Um, yeah. How important was hiring on your office manager? And why did you hire on an office manager when you were the office manager? Um, well, at a certain point, as far like, as an operator, because like, yeah. you're the operator. Yeah, yeah. At a certain point, there's just too many things to do. And when it came to all the paperwork and it came to transactions and all that kind of stuff, like it just made so much sense to bring someone on. So, um, you know, for anybody that's growing, if you look at the highest performing and, you know, biggest revenue companies, they have team members and strategic team members, uh, that are also performing at a high level. So for me, I just had to, to bring on some of those people, you know? Okay. 
Sorry, I'm writing down my questions as they come in. Yep. Um, what is the best trait you got from sports? Let's give top best three, what? Bet, top three things you learned from sports that have helped you excel in business. Who is there three of them? Um, I would say just say about, you know, just the hard work part because there's way too many snowflakes out there that they see, you know, a day of hard work. They're like, oh man, this just doesn't work. Yeah. And, and they just give up. Um, for me, like I'm willing to show up every day, whether I'm sick or don't feel good, um, whatever it is, you know. Well, I think sports for us showed us that there is an end to the hard work. Yeah. Correct. If we put in a certain amount of effort, like it eventually comes towards a lot there's of a people. Result. Like they just work hard forever and they don't know if there's ever going to be a result or at least like we have the faith in it. Yeah. That it'll bear fruit eventually. And like we got to see it because like obviously you're lifting weights and like, oh, wow, I can squat more. Mm -hmm. Now I can squat even more. Now I can bench more. Now I'm faster. To where most people are like, I truly call that a blessing. Like they don't get that blessing to see like hard work goes into something. And then I get the desired result afterwards. Mm -hmm. Like if you didn't play sports, you didn't have to really work at anything. Like yeah. there's no correlation. Yeah, totally. I think the next thing uh, I, I had to actually just thought about it right now. I think there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. You know, in sports, yeah. it's like you're being coached on how to do things all the time. Yeah. And if you have an attitude, if you just don't want to do it that way, like your ass is on the yeah, bench. You're fucking <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I think having some good coaches along the way that showed me like, hey, just taking your one step, you know, six inches rather than a foot or, you know, do it this way or, you know, grab, you know, put your hands here or do it this way. Like those little small things that I saw have a big impact and big result is where I understood like there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And so I, I try, it can't be perfect every time, but I try to bring that same approach to business where it's like, no guys, we have to do it this way because this is the right way to do it. If we half-ass it or we just don't do a good job, we're not going to get results. Exactly. And it's not going to work. It's out. all for not. Like you, yeah. at that point, we're just wasting time and money. Yeah. And why the fuck are we? If you want to be the best, like you got to do it this way. Oh yeah. All right. Let's transition to the tribe of Dinos. Tell okay. me about these amazing kids. How you, and you work from home and you're amazing with those kids all the time. What's it been like working with them at home with the new baby and everything else? Yeah. Well, I'd say for most people that aren't used to that environment, like it'd be stressful because um, my kids have an insane amount of energy. You know, right now, as I'm filming this, we got a, I got a six-year-old, an almost four-year-old and a 16-month-year-old, you know. Um, so things are really busy. Uh, and every single day is a lot of work just with the kids, Yeah, just with the kids, let alone man. all the work and, you know, the businesses that we have. So, um, I think the blessing is that I get to be around them a lot with the way I have things set up, you know, so I'm taking them to the beach, uh, taking them to the park, um, I'm able to be, you know, part of their sports and all that kind of stuff, you know, mm -hmm. whatever other activities are doing. So I think that's probably the, the coolest thing and why I wanted to be an entrepreneur is just have that, that freedom. Talk about that. Um, your family meetings. Yeah. What's that about? Dude, I'm stoked on that. So I'd say the, the biggest area for improvement in my life right now, looking at all things is my family actually being more aligned on goals. Cause right now it's kind of like, we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants. Mm -hmm. It's like, 
hey, we're improving our lifestyle or we're doing this, this thing that we like to do and that's fun or let's test this other thing out. And it's like, we haven't really had goals, like defined specific goals that we're working towards. And if you don't have that in place, like there's imbalance there. You know what I mean? So like, where did you find out on how to do a family meeting and who gave you that idea? So I heard from some people at church who had mentioned, this was years back and it just kind of like re-came up to me that I needed to do it now. Um, had some friends at church that said that they had a family meeting. Now they didn't have kids at the time. It was just, you know, significant others. Uh -huh. And they had a family meeting to talk about like what they wanted to do as a family, what they wanted to do for fun. Um, what they wanted to do for fitness, what they wanted to do for faith, what they wanted to do for finances. So that way they could be on the same page across all those different categories. And so for me, feeling that level of imbalance recently, I was like, all right, enough's enough. Like we got to figure this out. And so I was reminded about that. And so I got this new, uh, you know, the screen, yeah. the, the vibe board that I can write on. I was like, well, that's engaging. That won't be so boring for the kids, you know? So why don't I pull that out and let's write down all these categories and let's go through every single week and write down like, okay, so what are the kids going to be doing for fun? What are the, what are we as a family going to be doing? What are we going to be doing for fitness? Right? So for the kids, it might be like a, a sports camp um, mm -hmm. for me and the wife. It might be just coordinating our schedules for when we want to work out. So just by doing that, we're all on the same page with what's happening and what we want to do and can plan things ahead. And it's already made like a huge difference. Okay. I love that. What are some of the goals that you guys have? Um, so let's see. I mean, traveling a lot more, especially with things having been locked down for the past couple of years. So traveling is a huge one for us. Um, getting more involved in the church is something that's a big goal for us. Um, and then, Financially speaking, I mean, we just want to stockpile more money aside. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing investments with my partner, but me and the wife want to now start doing investments ourselves. Okay. You know, so how did that like conversation that. go with you and your partner when you said you wanted to do investments on your own? Um, well, he's already doing some investments on right. his own too. So it's pretty easy. Yeah. So it's pretty easy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Investment question is Hex a scam? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I was on the Do phone you think so? I was on the phone. Well, I don't think they should release it right now. I don't think they should release the chain. It'll be worth dog shit. Oh, PulseX. You said Hex. I think Hex, but I think even PulseX right now, like, why would you release it? No, bad timing. Bad timing. Which they said they were going to delay it. Yeah. I mean, they have to. Yeah. But I was talking, either he's the greatest like person ever, or he's the greatest con artist ever. It's hard to know. It's hard to know because he's so... Um, in your face about everything yeah that he's a good debater bro like it like it's really not like there's debater. a lot of holes in like his arguments no and he pretty much puts everything out there yeah so there's that that's um something that makes you kind of want to get behind that yeah you know um but then it also makes you kind of feel weird too well nobody knows where he lives he's somewhere in europe well that's that's intentional but i mean let's say so one thing that I was thinking about the other day is like, okay, all the people who pull out their stake, who gets all that money? He gets all the money? Oh, when they like yeah, let's default? Just, yeah, let's just say they things. want to default and they want to pull it out and they're like, I'm done staking. Yeah. He gets all that money? I don't know. 
It's a lot of money. That would be a lot of money. Right. And like, I was like, okay, so we're trusting this guy over that. Number one, we're trusting the fact that this coin will be around for 30 years in the first place. True. To where like dot com era, well, only like five made it. The new. That's one thing that threw me off. Like people, and don't get me wrong, like there's obvious upsides to it. And it's an investment. It is an investment. So it can go to lock something into 15 years. That's 15 years, dude. And like, what does he say the yield is on it? I don't know. I can't remember. To where that, I mean, that is a Ponzi scheme. Because like, if there's one thing I've learned with crypto, and especially lately, bro, it's all gone to fucking dog shit. Like all of these really, really well, big it platforms. In, it goes in cycles, and it's especially harsh because, you know. Everybody got margin called on stupid shit. It's something so new and so unregulated that it's going to see insane volatility. But so like the way i put it is like okay so we had when the industrial revolution happened all the car companies there was hundreds like five made it right dot com era hundreds let's say 20 made it yeah crypto hundreds thousands at this point yeah there's a lot you know what i'm saying so like how many are going to make it and what makes us think the hex is actually going to make it fair enough and then the dude could walk nobody knows where he is and he walks, bro. I think there's a billion sacrifice for the fucking pulse chain, let alone. Oh, yeah, X. there is. Yeah. Bro, he, he's sitting on a billion dollars of assets. But it's, okay, yeah. right now it's 500 million. Still, though, walking with 500 million. Yeah. You're still walking with 500 million and nobody knows where the fuck you are. Yeah. And there's no regulation for them to say, like, oh, it was wrong. And he very, very clearly said, hey, no, this isn't a security or anything right. else. Like, you will not be given anything to where, like, yeah, I'm just giving you my money. Pretty much. All of those things together. I was just like, huh. But you still sacrificed. I still sacrificed. <laughs> I, I was talking to Chase about it like um, a week ago because he's a big, big Cardano dude. Okay. And like he started going off. He's like, I was all about Hex. Hex is a scam. I fucking hate Richard Hart, blah, blah, blah. And like we started having this conversation. Then I started like thinking about it deeper. I was like, oh, shit. I mean, he does like have like the hexagons by the testicles. Oh, yeah. Well, because he made a lot of them filthy rich. That's very true. But I mean, what's it at? It's at three cents right now. Yeah. So well, the whole market crashed, which is what happened in 2017. That was the first time like that I got into it and started buying crypto. Did you sell any of it? Of course. I got chicken shit and told myself, I'm going to hold on to this until it's worth so much money. But as soon as it went up and then started going, oh, get out of here. <laughs> My boy had a hundred in Doge and he wouldn't sell it off. I was like, bro, just take some capital. Take some yeah. chips off the table. Yeah. And this was like three months ago. And I, I don't even know what Doge went to, but I'm sure it dropped like 50% like that rest of everything yeah. else. Yeah. What else are you investing in besides crypto? Well, I did the whole, you know, Amazon and Walmart store. Yeah, we, we both got fucked on that. Yeah. I. We'll talk about, I don't, oh man. Don't want to say any names? <laughs> I won't, I won't say any. I, I was listening to Andy Fursell's podcast. The other day, like his old school, and he's for sales old school shit is fire. Like some of the best yeah. like personal development stuff I've ever heard. And he was talking about as a business owner, you can do some stuff for a little bit of time and get away with it. But like you can't build a true like 20 year, 30 year business or even a 10 year business. Like to get real traction in a business, you're five years plus. Yeah. To like make it worth something to where I'm, I'm interested to see what happens, let's say in the next three years to that guy. Right. You know, it's, you know, it's interesting, like the more that I've explored other options this year, in particularly as I've had, as I've made more money, 
I've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in other businesses. Granted, they were speculative businesses. I think that's the biggest thing, bro. It's like we take very, very large bets yes. with very, very speculative assets to Big where time. we don't control no the asset to where moving forward. It would... Crypto, Amazon, Walmart stores. Yeah. There was a lot invested into that, which, hey, on paper and and potential. Right. The fucking yield is 30% a month. Do yeah, it, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, it was it was, you know dangling carrots in front of me that talking with my partner was like all right yeah like if this works out awesome if it doesn't work out it's not going to change our lifestyle if that money's gone yeah. so it's worth it's worth the bet and that's what it was a bet i looking back at it i still don't th i think it was worth the bet because i learned a lesson but moving forward like my due diligence will be significantly better totally all right because like now the whole goal is return of capital it also reinforced like, hey, if you're good at something, like double down on that. Right. Like, bro, if I'm like, good at something, I can just I get a better return by doubling down than I would generally in anything else. Yeah. And then there I'm a big fan of Hermosa you saying, bro, there's no true passive income because there's not. And then like going and having to learn a whole entirely new skill set of like, how does this thing actually work in yeah. and outs to mitigate that downside and be able to hop in and like do something yeah. to where like, let's say if one of our stores was going down to a certain amount and like, I knew exactly what to do, I could be like, okay, so we're not going to do that. We're going to do this. And then I could go put a team in place and have them just run it and do it the right way. Yeah. It's the same thing with, uh, like people kind of ask me, like, Hey, why don't you get into other markets, other real estate markets? Well, we haven't tapped it yet, dude. Like you haven't tapped the market yet. It's like, for me, the more I've spent more and more and more time in my own market, which is only so big, the more that it's, got a return but like you haven't even really gone up to like towards sack in the bay yet right in my personal like you haven't like yeah, really no, started to like tap into that at all yeah to where like bro there's a whole lot of money up there still and then deal size and then mm -hmm. you still have la to where it's like slowly just like chunking it out chunking it out yeah. chunking it out and just well i think of those as other markets not even like the market i'm in i think of just the central valley as like that's my addressable market i mean what what is that i mean what do you say merced merced top Merced's the top of the Central Valley? Or well, Modesto. Okay, so Modesto. That's, that's what I think. So Modesto to Baco. Like, yeah. I'd say that's the Central Valley. And like, there's a, it takes a lot to tap into that. And there's a lot of different mm -hmm. shit that is, I still think that adds a lot of variables. Totally. Because like, we were looking at a flip in Chowchilla. And then I I was thinking about buying it. And I sent it to my friend. He was like, bro, no, because X, X, and X. And I had no clue. Right. Because I was going to buy it. He was like, nah, bro, but we got this variable, this variable, and this variable. If we do it, we need to have it there because of that. I was like, oh, shit. Like, I, I could have just lost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't like a wholesale. Like, this was me buying it. Right. Where you add in all those variables. Right. And simple scales. Yeah. So I think just going back to, like, focus on what you're good at and take your skills that you've developed and lean in on those. Those are going to give you the biggest return. What type of content do you listen to to, like, grow and, like, develop more skills? Um... I don't listen to too much content, to be honest. Um, I feel like I want to be a reader and I want to lean in on certain people, but I just can't find the time for it right now. And I know that's an excuse because you can always move things and prioritize yeah. things. But um, I find myself, if I'm trying to read, like I just fall asleep. Okay. <laughs> so like the stuff that I will listen to, Alex Hermosi, I've really gotten into him lately. Yeah. So just looking at his Instagram feed, 
I'll I'll just get super hyped just listening to that. I'll click on his profile. I'll just hit the first reel and just let it filter through. And I'm like, damn, these are some fire. Like fire. Yeah. Like just a 15 second video can have so much value to it. So I'm like, wow, I'm using that. But I'm a fanboy. I'm a I'm a true yeah. Mosey Nation yeah. fanboy. Everything that like he teaches like helps yeah. me out so much. Yeah. So it's it's little things like that is what is the content that I listen to. Okay. So it's just little short couple minutes. I'll listen to this. I'll listen to that, and then I'll be on my way. You know. Well, I mean, it, and it's hard, bro. You got the three little ones running. That's the craziest part. Running. Yeah. So I mean, we'll be up at all hours of the night. You know, we still got the baby sleeping in bed. So yeah, there's just always something going on. Oh, so, okay. What time are you waking up in the morning? That's the one when the kids answer. come in and jump on me. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is usually like six, six thirty. Okay. You know, and they just come in and wake you up. Oh yeah, just jump right on your nuts, dude, and just really wake you up. <laughs> I'm trying. To, I don't really have anything else, bro. Anything else you want to leave the? Oh, talk about your coaching program. Okay. Yeah. So, um, it's people like you again that mm-hmm. uh, have kind of like pushed me into doing content and doing stuff like that. And I think the friends with benefits program that we have, right. Where we're, we're working with other investors and doing JV deals together has really amplified the fact that I love working with other people. Uh And the more we've worked with other people, we've added value to them, helped them with their businesses, help them do more deals. And so I get a lot of fulfillment through that. And then again, with encouragement from people like you and others um, have kind of pushed me off the cliff to be like, Hey, you need to come out with a coaching program. So um, it's a passion project of mine. It's been released for a month now and um, basically goes through everything that we're doing in our business, A to Z from marketing to our systems, to um, how we are working with and finding buyers, um, how we built out our team, literally everything that we're doing. Um, and then we have, you know, an accountability aspect built into it. We're checking in with yeah. you weekly to see like how you're doing, what you're doing, what challenges you're having. Then we have a negotiation training on Tuesdays and then a Q and a on Wednesdays. So, um, it's really an interactive engagement coaching program and, um, it's been super fun so far, man. Bro, I'm telling you, you're the, one of the best operators I know. Cause I remember you telling me about all the stuff you're doing. I was like, man, I didn't even think about that fucking detail. Like, well, I gotta get this and I gotta get this. And then you send me the fucking sheet that is this long of every single thing. I was like, oh wow. <laughs> like these are like things like I wouldn't even think about. But then you're just so dear to own it. It is awesome. Uh where else can people find out about you? Um, well, you can go to Instagram, Dean Rogers Real Estate. Uh, you can go to DeanRogers.com, see all my uh, social media stuff on there. You can also see a video about the coaching program. Check it out, see if you're interested. Jake, do we have any questions? Sweet. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dino. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Can't wait to talk to you guys tonight. Sweet. What's going on, Winning Family? If this podcast is bringing you any value, I know the rest of the content that we put out is going to drive tons of value to you. So go do me a favor and go subscribe on YouTube to our channel to where we release some things that aren't coming out on our podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Thank you guys so much.
Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Winning Move Podcast. I hope it helps you make all the right moves in your life and business. Please make sure to go like and subscribe on any podcast platform that you're listening to. And make sure to go follow me on Instagram at Strat Daddy. Thank you guys so much. I'll talk to you soon.